You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am Matt Baker. I perform a comedy and stunt show. And I'm Louis Fox. I do uh, magic tricks, comedy, and hand shadow puppets. <laughs> and we both have performed at the Moisture Festival for a number of years. So welcome to the podcast where we give you a peek behind the curtains of the performers and the people that make the Moisture Festival happen. You get a little, little bit of a look at their journey to getting on stage and a little bit about what they do in their time off stage. So welcome and be sure to check out all the episodes of the Moisture Festival podcast because there's a lot. There is a lot. And if you aren't familiar with the Moisture Festival, it's a four-week festival celebrating variety arts. So that's hula hoopers, magicians, people who bounce on their hands, acrobats, pretty much anything you can think of. It is the largest festival of its kind in the entire world, folks. In the entire world, it's the largest festival, and it features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, but they have a burlesque venue that runs for one week only, and get your tickets for that early because that always sells out actually 95 percent we've crunched the data louis yes. 95 percent of the shows sell out so if you're listening to this in the months of march and april be sure to go to moisturefestival.org and get your tickets today yes especially if your bucket list item is to see the opening show Get them now. Absolutely. On this episode, we welcome in a magician, Jason Andrews. Yes, we learn about his career through magic and then his next career as a commercial airline pilot. Yeah, we talk a lot about his uh, sort of his successes in his career uh, spanning from being on a ton of different TV shows to shows uh, internationally and what sort of prompted him to sort of take turn the page on that life and come into uh, a new life in the air. All right. Let's a great interview. Let's get to it. All right, today's guest is a magician who has appeared on America's Got Talent, Penn and Teller's Fool Us, and The Daily Show. He has performed all around the world, including The Crazy Horse Harris and his own show in Istanbul. We welcome in Jason Andrews. Woo! Hey, 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 how's it going? Now, I got mixed uh, sort of messages from Louie. Is Jason Andrews a stage name or is that your actual name? It is a stage, stage name, previous stage name, actually, so... Uh, Jason Andrews came about, I was doing uh, nightclubs and touring uh, comedy clubs, nightclubs. And I went back to the hotel one night. I was using my real name, Jason Newsom. Went back to the hotel one night and there was like three or four people just hanging out at the hotel, just waiting for us to get back to the hotel. And I thought, well, this, this isn't good. So I came up with the stage name. Yeah. Yeah. When I Googled Jason Newsom, all that came up was Gavin Newsom. And so I'm like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's funny. No relation. I I, maybe he's in the family tree somewhere, but I've never (laughs) met him. I don't know him. So (laughs) So, real quick, how do you describe what you did um, as as a performer? Yeah. So uh, I did a lot of comedy magic, what ended up becoming comedy magic. So telling jokes on stage, you know, doing a magic trick every now and then talking to people out of the audience. 
Um, and that that kind of developed after a long stream of trying to figure out what the heck do I want to do? How do I want to, you know, who do I want to be on stage? What do I want to be on stage? So I tried doing the illusions, uh, big illusions with pretty girls and dancers. I tried doing the classic magic, all sleight of hand. And I still kept elements of those in my show at the time. Uh, but uh, I mean, ultimately, you know, when, when I was kind of at the, at the heights of what I was doing, it was all just pure comedy magic. People were laughing, having a good time. And oh, by the way, let me show you a magic trick, which I, I felt connected with people a lot more. People just wanted to laugh, you know, wanted to have a good yeah. time. And, and magic was kind of the excuse to, to pull them, to pull everyone in. Yeah. And you don't have to yeah. carry around those giant semi trucks to carry your illusions i know what a employ, nightmare employ people to be your backup dancers and yeah that's a good point there's like there's to doing these illusions there's this whole other aspect you have to you have to ship all the material all the upkeep of it you have to bring all yeah. the tools to repair the stuff on the road it's just like there, there's a whole subset of skills and requirements to doing all that stuff now I saw that you went to uh, your graduate of the Las Vegas Academy of the for the performing arts, yeah. and that you grew up in Vegas. Did you did magic come after that, or what, did magic lead you into getting uh, your degree at the Las Vegas Academy for the performing well, arts? Gosh, I, I think I would have majored in in magic, focused on magic if they had it. But oh. uh, no, it was it was magic first, uh, and then. I was kind of, there was another school here in Vegas that did all video production. And I thought, well, gosh, is theater better or is video production better? And I ended up going with theater for whatever reason and uh, ended up working behind the scenes, lighting design, sound design, costume, uh, set, you know, all, all, all the technical aspects gotcha. of theater. And that really helped with the magic. So magic came first and then theater, all the theater skills kind of supported supported the magic you wanted to sharpen the peripheral the the other elements that go into your show yeah exactly i remember my first time walking into a theater i i was maybe uh, i don't know 14 15 you know right around high school sort of period and they handed me a microphone to do a sound check and i was like what what the heck is this i don't know how to how to do this you know uh, so i thought oh i should get some skills and figure out what what i'm doing <laughs> It's interesting. A lot of people don't ever think about that. Like, you know, they think about the stuff that you you put on stage, the material or the tricks or the blocking, but they don't re realize that, yeah, there's this whole other world to producing a show, you know, lights, oh, yeah. sound, uh, you know, how people are sitting. Um, and yeah, people don't realize that that you have to learn that stuff also. Yeah, you have to learn it. And it really does. It's it's almost subconscious. Like you don't you don't really realize how much that those elements affect your show. You know, uh -huh. if the sound is off, if the theater is too hot, uh, if they can't hear you telling the jokes, it's like, well, then your show is gonna suck, you know. If they yeah, can't hear exactly. what you're saying, yeah. they're not gonna understand it. Yeah, it's funny, so. the, the amount of times I've shown up to an event and their sound was they didn't have a sound person or a they have a sound board, but they, no one knows how to work it. And I'm like, well, luckily, like I had, you know, I've done this before, but if I was a person that had not had any experience with this, this, we would, you would have wasted all your money. Yeah. And you know, it, it's funny because that's kind of, that, that was, that's definitely an aspect of entertainment that I enjoyed is kind of, kind of having to know a little bit about everything. Cause ultimately you're the one on stage. It's your name on the billboard. Yeah. So you got to kind of be in charge of everything. Hey, I, 
I want this announcement or I want, you know, yeah. I want to sell this kind of merch or I want the lights to look like this. So you yeah. got to really create that experience. Yeah, it's yeah. true. So like right. you grew, you grew <clears throat> up in Vegas and were you sort of exposed to shows early on? Was were like, what sort of family, what sort of family moves to Vegas? First of all, uh, you know, I, <laughs> Uh, kind of kind of interesting, actually. And it's a story I haven't heard before. So um, my family is Native American. I'm quarter Native American. You can't tell by looking at me, but the, the quarter is in there somewhere. So they all lived up in a, a reservation in Canada. And my grandma, they, everyone just kind of followed my grandmother around wherever she moved. So she moved to Boston. Everyone moved to Boston. She moved to Indiana. Everyone moved to Indiana. By the time I was born... Uh, I was about two, two or three years old. And she said, Hey, I want to take a trip to Vegas. I think I want to go visit. So my uncle bought her a ticket out to Vegas and she never went back. It was a one-way ticket. And so she stayed in Vegas and everyone moved to Vegas. Oh, interesting. And I was, I was about two or three. So that, that's how we ended up here. And I mean, you know, I I'm 37 now. So six, five, four, 34 years ago, Vegas was a totally different town. Yeah. A lot smaller, um, show business. Uh, show, I mean, definitely still a show business here in Vegas, but shows were a little, uh, I feel like that that was kind of, uh, you know, a, a little more part of the Vegas atmosphere live shows. Uh-huh. So I don't know when I was growing up. Yeah. We would go and see, uh, I saw a ton of magic shows, went to a bunch of concerts as a kid. So I was the only one in my family that's in entertainment, but I mean, it was naturally a part of our lives being here in Vegas. Yeah. Like, I guess you were a kid in Vegas at the right time when they were doing that experiment where it was family Vegas. Yeah. Where? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you say that going to with my grandma. uh, My mom worked a full time job. She raised me and my brother as a single parent. So when mom was working, I'd go hang out with grandma and grandma. She loved Vegas. Right. So she loved being on the strip. She loved gambling, being in the casinos. (laughs) So, I mean, interesting, right? Being five, six, seven years old, walking in and out of these casinos. So I remember going to a Circus Circus, kind of a family-themed hotel, and they had circus performers um, doing, you know, juggling and and clowns and all all kinds of circus arts on stage there at Circus Circus. They had a balloon girl that would ride around on floats in the ceiling and drop balloons, and yeah, I remember all that stuff as a kid. Was that did that? Were you into magic at that time, or were going and being exposed to these magic shows and stuff? Is that what sort of was the genesis of you getting involved into into magic? Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I, I I've never met a kid that doesn't like magic. So I liked magic just like every other kid does. Uh, I saw David Copperfield for I think it was my eleventh birthday or twelfth birthday, and that was cool. I liked it at Caesar's Palace, uh, and then I saw Lance Burton for I think I think Copperfield was eleven, Lance Burton was twelve. And seeing Lance's show is really what what kind of sparked my imagination into magic. I mean, it was, you know, the whole Victorian theater, top hat and tails. He was funny. The magic was amazing. Um, I, I don't know what about that show, but it really just turned me on to magic. And I thought, gosh, this is what I want to do. I, I remember the, sh- the, the curtain closing on that show. And I was sitting in the theater thinking, what that I want to see more. How, how do I get more of, of this, you know? 
No, I think it was Lance's show that really yeah. uh, sparked the magic for me. And you stuck around Vegas. Were you were you able to like you know say this? Like I imagine you rubbed elbows with some of these people that you watched when you were a kid. Were you able to sort of tell that story to like Lance Burton and be like, "Hey, oh yeah." I'm sure he hears that like a lot of kids were like, yeah, you inspire me. But I mean, it's kind of you're a Vegas guy. So I'm sure that's made, made an impact. Yeah. And it's uh, it was always I mean, in my in my 20s, growing up in Vegas, after seeing all of these performers, Siegfried and Roy, Lance Burton, uh, Matt King, I mean, all these legendary Vegas entertainers, seeing them as a kid doing magic myself and then meeting them in my 20s it was just like my mind was blown every time i would meet these guys yeah yeah and i mean and they were all like just super nice and i i don't remember anyone being being rude or brushing me off or anything like that so i mean that just encouraged me more to like man i really i i want to do this this is what i want to do with my life yeah and you know that's what's interesting i was thinking about this the other night is like i was thinking like for me, when I get hired, I, I get hired when they can't afford like a celebrity. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, and they're yeah. like, oh, hey, we want something good, but you yeah. know, we don't want to pay the price for someone you know famous. And I think that's what's nice about the variety world is because all of these performers have they've done amazing things like stuff that, uh, you know, if you did one of them, it would be a huge accomplishment. But they've done like you yourself have done a, a million things and they're they're not quite household names and so the ego isn't as big as it would be for like a celebrity so when you meet people like like say at the moisture festival or out and about there seems to be a little bit more humility and it's not as hard to sort of engage with them uh i don't know that's not a question i was just sort of like yeah that's what i like about the variety world yeah 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 interesting interesting aspect i i definitely i i identify with that i mean it's I, I feel like uh, in entertainment, there's this quote, if I can get it right here, um, climbing up up the ladder, you're you're hungry. And then when you're at the top and everything is good, you're a little more um, friendly. Your ego is not quite as there because you're at the top. You've made it right. Mm. And then on the way on the way down, you're, you're a little hungry again. You realize you're on the decline. So your you know, personality kind of changes a little bit. Oh, so I yeah, I feel I feel like that's and I I totally mingled that quote, whatever it is, but that's that's <laughs> something to that effect, you know. When you're at the top and you're doing good, it's like, hey, I'm doing good. I could afford I could afford to you know be friendly to everyone, and I'm not struggling for work. I'm not yeah. trying to make a living. Like I'm doing well, you know. I think the quote was a JF quote, JFK quote, where he said, "Don't ask which." your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I think that was the original. <laughs> yeah. In essence, in essence. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. I mean, something you got to do, which is cool. Cause you had to meet a lot of your heroes. Did you go to Tannen's magic camp? I did actually. That's a, um, a cool story too. So performing arts high school, right. In high school, uh, my English teacher, uh, what is that? Freshman or sophomore year? I think it was sophomore year, high school. Or was it freshman? I I don't know. Freshman or sophomore year, high school. My English teacher, her family owned a billboard company, Connell Outdoor Advertising. And uh, she had found out that I did a magic show. I was, um, she found out because I invited her to one of my performances. Uh, Gary Darwin, who is a Las Vegas legend, he did magic meetings here in town every Wednesday night. And it was a chance for all the magic performers to come together, hang out, 
you know, buy some magic, sell some magic, talk about magic, have a few beers, just kind of hang out. It was at this bar called Boomers here in Las Vegas. And I was this 15, 16 year old kid walking into this bar in a tuxedo with, you know, my billiard balls and all my magic props just ready to perform. So I, I would, I would try to do that a few times a month just to get on stage, get some stage time. And so I invited my English teacher. I invited all my teachers actually. And my English teacher was the only one to come. Mrs. Connell. She saw me perform. And the next day she said, Jason, my, my family's company, we give a scholarship every year to someone in the community, some kid to, uh, you know, help them out with education or help out their career or help them move forward on their life path somehow. And I was just wondering if there's any way we could award you this scholarship. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. So I found Tannen's Magic Camp and I thought, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. So they paid for the the whole Magic Camp experience and I went and it was a fantastic week. I think the camp is like a week long, seven days or 10 days and it was great. I made made some good friends, uh, performed in the competition, uh, ended up winning first place in the competition, which was really nice. cool. Um, yeah, I think that was in 2001. And that was right before 9-11 happened. So it was like, you know, got in and out just in time. Now, what is Tannen's they... Magic Camp for the people who don't know who are listening? So Tannen's Magic Camp, it is uh, basically a summer camp for for young magicians. Mm. So I think it's uh, there's a there's an age limit on it. It's like 10 to 17 or 18. Uh, so you go. Uh, for this week and there's magic counselors who are all professional magicians or jugglers or comedians themselves and it's just a week of events there's a competition at the end of the week so they have lecturers that come in and talk about magic um, you work on magic with the other campers uh, I think there's I think they limit it to like 100 students or 100 campers but uh, it's on this college campus so you stay in the dorms uh, there's a theater right there on campus cool. at least at least when I went. Um, so yeah, it's just a week long of like day and night. Who puts, that, who puts that on? Who's the, the sort of the person pushing that forward? Uh, I'm a little rusty on these details. This was a couple of decades ago, but okay. I, it, I know, I know it was Tannen's magic shop in, okay. uh, in, uh, in New York. And I think uh, I want to say Tony Spina was a name that, that comes to mind. I think he was kind of putting it on, but it was, it comes Tony, from the Tannins Tony was the shop. owner of Tannins okay. for a while. There you go. Okay, how cool is that, now, man? Did you have any notable, like, you know, professional magicians come and help you when you're at Magic Camp, or like anyone that blew up that was your peers at Magic Camp? Um, gosh, there's a lot actually. Yeah, so um, one of, one of the counselors there was Scott Hitchcock, who was a, a Vegas performer, and just just like you said, Matt, uh, he's one of those entertainers who is not a household name but very successful performer mm. very successful entertainer so he was one of my mentors there jamie ian swiss uh was there uh joe devlin uh came that week and a lot of these performers maybe not household names but really i mean within the magic community really prominent entertainers jamie and swiss um, is a familiar name to uh the moisture festival he performed yeah. i think two or three years now so. oh wow okay yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so yeah he was there just guiding us and gave some lectures and uh performances and um let's see uh so other campers that kind of blew up i know um 
Oh, well, there was that, wasn't there a magic uh, documentary? Uh, it was called Magic Camp. Yeah, yeah, which is about tannins. It, that came out of, like, it was like a few years ago now, right? Yeah, that came yeah. Out. Yeah, so I remember, uh, I think Matt Schick uh, was on that, and Matt works with Michael Carbonaro now. Uh, wow. Ruben Moreland, I went to camp with, and and he went to FISM, and he's done a bunch, uh, a bunch on his own. Uh, TJ... Um, Oh, I'm spacing on his last name. It's so bad. TJ. You know, like Tanning Camp like, Reunion from like class of 2001, you know, like the 20 year. Yeah. I, I, I mean, not that I, if there is, I haven't been to them, but you keep in touch with all these guys on yeah. Facebook now. And I see what everyone is doing. It's just like, wow, they're really going for it. You know? That's, well, I imagine you have to be into magic to go. It's not like, you know, Hey, you got a scholarship to Tanning's magic camp. It's like, I don't even like magic. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I, and I don't remember the process. I, I want to say there was like an application and maybe you had to have a sponsor and oh, that's cool and, and all that. I actually, I ended up going uh, over there with a sponsor from Las Vegas here. It was an uh, uh, illusion builder, Tom Rubino. So he uh, he kind of, you know, uh, chaperoned me out there and chaperoned me on the way back. So that's that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. You went to Tannins being a West Coast guy because there was another camp on the West Coast, which is West Coast Wizards. But I think... Oh. Uh, yeah, that that was like um, that was the one I went to. Oh, okay, Gosh, <laughs> the rival I, magic. It was like the budget camp. Know. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. It really was. I we didn't were in know college dorms. We were in tents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> were they around at the same time? West Coast, West Coast uh, Wizards. Yeah. So the demise of West Coast Wizards was someone there went to jail. Uh, <laughs> That'll do it. That you don't want associated <laughs> with your camp. Uh, but like. Um, Justin Willman came out of West Coast Wizards, um, cool. and like Eric Buss, but yeah, it's all more West Coast guys. So it was interesting that you end up at Tannins, not the the one closer to home that you could drive Gosh, to. Th that's it's always like the, the you most... lucked out. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I know it's always like the most challenging. Uh, that's been like my whole life. What, what's going to be the most challenging? Doing something on the East Coast across the country or the West Coast? Well, I'm going to go to the East Coast. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've so. done a lot of challenging things. Like you've won a lot of um, magic awards and magic competitions. Um, did you win IBM? Uh, yeah, that was 2010. So uh, I went down, and and that was just a very last minute decision to go to that. I was not preparing for for that competition. I was not like did not have my sights set on it months in advance. It was uh, a group of Vegas performers, like a week before. The, the convention started said hey jason we're going down are you are you free do you want to join us and i was like yeah why not it was it was uh bizarro and a few other a few other local magicians here we all just carpooled down there and i thought well gosh i'm going I, i've done a million other competitions why not just go and hang out backstage with some friends so i did it not not thinking anything of it purely doing it for fun and I did my classic act, manipulation act. So it was the billiard balls, cards, doves, all sleight of hand, and uh, ended up winning people's choice and the uh, and the first place award that year. Was that in San Diego? Yeah, San Diego. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. You beat me there. that year. You beat me. I oh, was in that really? contest. You competed, oh. Louis, <laughs> in the stage contest. Yeah, but I had a hard spot doing like talking comedy, and they put me. I was the first one up in in the contest at like seven a.m. Oh, rough. So Is anyone ready to laugh at 7 a.m.? I don't know. No, no one was awake. 
It was, oh, geez. Yeah, they were like, you have no tech, you're first. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> oh, lovely. I know. And I've been there. I know exactly what you mean. I've been, I, I, I think I've done 30 or 35 competitions uh, over, over my magic career. And there have been times where it's like, just the, the worst position to possibly be in. You're like, well, oh, I know this isn't going to go well, but I'm still going to try to have fun, you know? Yeah. Now, in a magic competition, like what are, like, what are you judged on? What are judges looking for? Like, and what are you being graded on? Yeah, I think each one is a little different. They have their own criteria, but generally I think showmanship, uh, technical ability, skill, um, you know, is it entertaining? So some some judge on costumes, some judge on audience reaction. So, but but pretty much showmanship, skill, and entertainment value are kind of the basics. And did you place in that, Louis? Did you get anything honorable mention? <laughs> I got the honor of going first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kicking it off. I got the yeah. honor of being able to watch you the whole thing. You get in the program. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that year there was a lot of uh, international performers that year. And I remember being one of the only I think there was me and one other um, American. There was only one one or two Americans in the finals that even made it. Everyone else was like from China and Japan and they yeah. were coming over. W was that the year that they changed it? You had to uh, win a, a national competition to be able to go to FISM. You remember when they changed so. those rules? Yes. Yes. So, so I think that's had... why there were a lot of international performers that year. Yep. FISM is the big international, the biggest magic contest in the world. It stands so. for Farley International Society of Magicians. What's the F for? <laughs> federation. The what? The, oh, federation. Gotcha. Yeah. So when like you're doing these competitions, right? Are you like let's because I know there's a bunch of different types of magic, like in those particular competitions with like you doing you said you were doing your uh you, what was it called classic magic Class manipulation going stuff, against yeah. like louie who's a comedy magician or a illusionist which are you being stacked against the people in the same competition like different types of magic or yeah it's kind of interesting and each each magic convention competition kind of does things a little different so in the ibm it was everyone against everyone some other competitions, there'll be a comedy category or an gotcha. illusion category. But yeah, I, I think IBM was just, it was all the mentalism Anybody. guys. It was all whatever. the illusion. Yeah. It's like, whatever, who's, who's going who's gonna to be the, the winner of all these guys? Yeah. Yeah. And I should say IBM yeah. is the International Brotherhood of Magicians, which is, I think, currently the oldest magic club in the, in the world. What's better, IBM or FISM? Uh, IBM costs $40 to join. FISM is $8. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I would say if FISM has more members, is that? Because uh, it's international. Gotcha. So, like, you've done a ton of stuff. Um, one of the shows that I saw that you did was in Istanbul. Uh, were you doing your own show, or did producers bring you in and you wrote the show? Like, what what, what was that like? And then yeah. also, what was it like performing in an audience that might not speak English as a first language? So, Istanbul was like... I was thrust into this spotlight in Istanbul that I was not expecting and maybe not like ready or prepared for. And I still, to this day, I still don't know the whole backstory of how I got this gig, but there, there was, uh, uh they thought they were hiring it, Gavin Newsom. Yeah, exactly. This is like, and then I show up, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> who's the, who's this non-celebrity? I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, so this this uh, agent from LA contacted me and he said, hey, there's this gig in Istanbul and we'd like to bring you over. So bring your own show, bring your assistant, whatever you need. And, uh, and we'll bring you over. It's at Trump Tower, Trump Tower, Istanbul. So uh, packed up my show and went over. So I knew I probably wasn't fully understanding what this gig was when I told the agent that I needed an extra ticket for my assistant, meaning my stage assistant. And he said, well, Jason, you're just going to be over there for like two or three weeks. Do you have to bring your personal assistant? Can they just stay home? I was like, well, that, that caught me totally off guard. Cause I mean, I don't, I don't have a personal assistant. I never th was thinking along those lines in my mind, assistant meaning stage assistant. Yeah. I was like, no, I, she, she's a part of the show. She, she needs a ticket to come. Yeah. Like, so anyway, I got over there and, uh, I was, I ended up being over there for three weeks in Istanbul and then two weeks in Ankara, the uh, capital of, of Turkey over there. So I was at, uh, we showed up and the first two or three days was pure press eight hours a day doing TV shows and newspaper interviews and all these interviews, which the agent had not informed me I was going to be doing. So I, I had nothing prepared for all these. I was just yeah. kind of winging it, you know, and there was a little bit of a, of a language barrier there. So um, on the flight over, all my bags were delayed. The, all the road oh. cases. Oh, all, my all, God. All, all, it, this was like the worst of the worst. This gig was like probably one of the biggest opportunities of my career. And I was the, the most not ready for this gig. <laughs> So we ended up being delayed in Frankfurt for, I think, a day or two, and they lost my bag. So I showed up and didn't have, I mean, I had the magic that was packed in my carry-on, which was a little bit, but it, it wasn't the full illusion show. So ended up going to a little magic shop they had there in Istanbul and tried to scrounge together a magic show. Uh, the agent producer took me to a clothing shop there in, in the mall. The theater was in a mall there in Trump Tower. And bought a new suit and I just, I tried to piece this thing together and opening night, they, they had all the dignitaries there, everyone from the oh hotel, everyone from the mall, all the TV. There was, I mean, it, it was like what you think of when you see a big opening show, there, there was two or three rows just full of TV cameras. And, and it, I mean, everyone was there, the whole city was there and I'm up there, you know, doing this uh, essentially close up magic, which was not the show I had prepared, not what I had promised. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, this is, I, I, I mean, I, I hope, I hope they respond well to it. And I think it went well enough. It, it obviously was not what they were expecting, but I think it went well enough. I mean, they extended me a week That's and, nice. then, they, and yeah. then they extended two weeks in Ankara, which Ankara was not a part of the original plan. So I went to Ankara and it was in this, it was called the Congressium, which was this huge three or four thousand seat entertainment mecca, like this huge theater. I showed up on day one and my face was like five stories tall on the front of this theater. And I had never seen anything like that before. Yeah. So, I mean, really a cool gig. How far into the run did your gear show up? Uh, it showed up the following day. So we did ah. opening night. I come down. All the reviews down, are in. I, everything's already done, right? Yeah, I come down the stairs the next day in the hotel and all my bags are sitting there at the front desk. And I show up to the theater and all the road cases are finally there. And I think, oh my gosh, can we can we have a redo, please? Yeah. What I would love so. for you like then to do the show that you plan to do and then they say, 
we like the show on the first night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It ends up being better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's yeah. interest, interesting. Like I just did a uh, corporate event. Um, I It was two years in a row. And I, I don't like doing that because I have to dip into some, you know, material that I don't do all the time. And as I'm doing it, I'm like, they don't know that this is material I don't do all the time. They don't know. I know that. You know, I know that there's a better show, but, yeah. you know, they don't know. And so I'm sure I'm sure they loved it. Yeah, it's all perspective. I know exactly what you mean. So, I mean, in my mind, uh, in that scenario in Istanbul, in my mind, I had this amazing, fantastic, perfect show that I worked on, you know, and rehearsed. And then I show up and I'm just winging it. And it's like, in my mind, I'm like, hey, I have something better for you. But in their mind, they're like, oh, this is actually really good. I like yeah. this guy. So this it's American like the, the, just comes over and just yeah. stuff out of his pockets. Yeah, exactly. This is my first time working with uh, a translator as well. So it's like the comedy timing on things. It's like you say the joke and then she repeats the joke and then there's a laugh. Yeah. And so I, I ended up finding like new moments, like while she's speaking, you want to do the action that's funny. So it everything kind of matches yeah. up. It's like, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Well, the worst is when you do the joke, they do the translate. And you're waiting, but there is no laugh. And it's not the same. Yeah. And you know, that's the review that I got from a few people. They came up after the show, really good English speakers saying, hey, she's not saying the same thing that exactly. you're saying. Yeah. It's I'm interesting. Like, oh. like, you know, because they have different words, you know, every language has different words for different different words for different things obviously but um but like they might not <laughs> have a, a language they might not have a translation <laughs> for that specific word and so they might have to sort of summarize or describe it which completely kills the joke because it's yeah. all about you know about specific words being used to generate the laugh uh, it's a learning process and just the adrenaline going i mean when when i'm doing material that's not familiar or in those situations i'm like god i have to adapt you have to adapt in the moment uh, it's like, oh, that really gets the adrenaline going. So yeah. Yeah. makes you really present in the show. Now, people listening may have noticed very specific words we've kind of been using about you as a performer. They're all past tense. Yeah, mm. true. Yeah. Because you're really, you don't really perform anymore. No, my, uh, my farewell final performance ended up being in January or I'm sorry, July of 2020. It was at a friend's wedding here in Las Vegas. And that of July 2020, famously, right in the middle of the pandemic, right? So mm -hmm. March March 13th, Friday the 13th, I was on a cruise ship uh, in Hawaii, middle of the ocean, and my agent calls and says, pack your bags, you're going home in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I had, just, I had just signed onto the ship like two or three days before, and I was on for a three-month contract, and I thought, well, this isn't good. What am I going to do now? You know, everything shut down for the pandemic, so came home. Worked on new material for a month, uh, you know, the month following. So from March to April, worked on new material, just trying to stay ready, stay available. And then April to May, I, I drank wine and whiskey for a solid month. And then May to June, I was like, or, or yeah, April, May to June, I was like, what, what is next? What am I going to do? Are ships going to come back? Is show business going to reopen? What the heck am I going to do? And... Uh, when I was working on ships, I met a uh, a pilot who really enjoyed magic. We kind of became friends. Uh, his name is Jason as well, Captain Jason. So we kind of kept in touch during the pandemic. And in uh, May 
of 2020, he said, Jason, you're not doing anything. Why don't you go take a flight lesson? I think you'd make a good pilot. You might enjoy it. I was like, okay, I got nothing else to do. And of course, aviation was booming at that time. Aviation did not shut down whatsoever. So Witten took a, a flight lesson and kind of progressed through it, ended up getting my, my private pilot's license, took about six months. And I thought, well, ships aren't really returning. And I, I'm in my mid-30s now. Do I really want to be hustling for gigs in my 50s and 60s? Maybe, maybe not. What if my health goes to crap? Like, mm. well, then what am I going to do? So I, it, it was, I, I think everything just kind of happened at the right time for a career change. So stuck with aviation, got my commercial license, instrument rating, just kind of progressed through everything. And uh, I just started uh, my airline pilot um, job as a first officer uh, about two months ago. Wow. So, yeah. So from 2020 all the way through now, about three, three and a half years, uh, it took to become a pilot. And I, I'm still interested in magic and I still watch magic on YouTube and go and see magic shows here in Vegas. But as far as like performing, being on stage, I haven't been on stage in about three years. Do you miss it or is it just like that was a different life? And I, I missed it for a solid six months. Uh, and then it, it, it's funny how things change, like after really reassessing things and, and making that decision, am I going to, am I going to go back to magic or am I going to follow this, uh, this flying aspiration, you know, following aviation, uh, just assessing it. I look back and I think, well, gosh, I I've been on TV. I I've, I've won some awards. I've traveled the world. I've worked the Las Vegas strip. Like what? What else is there to do, really? You beat you know, Louis like, Fox in a competition. I, I, be, I mean, that, that was number one. That was that was the first thing. Yeah. So you so got off at I, the top of the ladder. I I, I mean, I yeah. feel like I kind of did. Like I was I was doing really well on ships. I was able to buy a house. I you know bought a couple cars, got my life set up, and it was it was comfortable. I had some savings to kind of make it through the pandemic pay for flight training, which was nice. Um, so it, it was just an interesting shift. Do I miss it? Mm, I feel like I've been there and I've done that. So I, I've moved on, right? Like I, I kind of equate it to thinking about your childhood. Do you miss being a child? Yeah, you miss it. You had fun. You Sometimes you wish you could go back, but I also really enjoy being an adult, doing what yeah. I want to do when I want to do it. So it, it's kind of that comparison. Do you do you implement any of your magic, uh, s s not stuff, but just things that you've learned throughout your performing life into your sort of new career? Like, do you do? Are you the guy who gets on and does the funny announcements and like? <laughs> um, so there's a lot of things actually that translate from from magic into aviation. Um, aviation, obviously, you're working with the public, right? So so people skills is number one, being able to dissolve situations or, or give people a good experience, make sure it's positive experience, calm them down when they're a little nervous about flying, that kind of stuff. Um, so handling those kind of situations is number one. Um, second, I would say probably the, the, uh, the mental multitasking. Because as an, as an entertainer, you're on stage, you're thinking about uh, telling the joke, right? Keeping the audience with you on stage. You're focused on getting from where I'm at in the show now to where I want to be by the end of the show. So you're taking the audience through this journey and you got to stay focused on the path. So you're kind of juggling everything throughout the whole show. Keeping your 
you know, your text, your monologue going, keeping the magic going, making sure all the effects go correctly, keeping all the technical aspects going. And it's similar with flying. Like you're multitasking. There's so many things going on in the cockpit. You're watching the instruments. You're talking to air traffic control. You're making sure the plane is in a good position. Um, so there, there's all these elements that you're balancing. So all of that mental capacity kind of translates as well. Yeah. Do your colleagues know that you are a former professional magician? Like, does the flight attendants go, <laughs> on the flight deck, we've got first officer Magic Jason? <laughs> Not yet. I should I should inform them of this, though, so I can get that uh, that intro. <laughs> Two-time IBM winner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How, how, would you feel, how would you feel if your pilot came on and started doing magic tricks and telling jokes, though? I'd be like, maybe you should be flying the plane, friend. <laughs> <laughs> you do a metamorphosis with the uh the flight attendant like uh, yeah <laughs> now she's in the bathroom now, now, she, now they're flying the plane <laughs> you're in flight entertainment <laughs> exactly that's great <laughs> i'm sorry the the wi-fi is down in a plane but uh first officer jason's gonna come out and do some card tricks <laughs> yeah 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 pick a card <laughs> <laughs> what's the have you had any incidents or anything happen that was like whoa i wasn't expecting that to happen and you know my or you know, flying career in in flying um I, we got to get rerouted to Madison, Wisconsin, because, uh, you know, the toilet's clogged or. So, I mean, nothing really drastically out of the blue. So I was instructing here in Las Vegas and uh, there's a there's a practice area for all the training aircraft up, up in up in North Las Vegas, kind of, you know, out away from the city. And uh, there were a couple airplanes that ran out of fuel while they were practicing out there and they landed on the highway. Oh wow! So I, wow. I was in the air. I was in the air with with one of my students for both of those incidents. That was interesting. Um, just kind of makes you perk up and like. I mean, and everyone ended up being okay, thankfully. Yeah. But it makes you perk up and say, "Wow, this is like things could go south really fast," you know. Yeah. So just always staying prepared, always being ready. And I would say, I would say, ninety percent of flight training is is practicing for those kind of emergencies. Yeah. Totally. And I mean, what is what is what is rehearsing and practicing magic and juggling and comedy? It's like you're practicing for those situations that are like, oh, shoot, I wasn't expecting this to happen. How yeah. am I going to handle this situation? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, that pr helped prepare you for that. Every exactly. pilot should be a former magician or juggler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, going back to your magic career, what prepared you for performing at the Crazy Horse in Paris? Because isn't that that's like a I thought it was like a sort of nude review variety review or it, it is yeah crazy horse paris uh so they have their the original version is in paris and then they brought a version to las vegas at the oh, mgm grand gotcha. so i was in i was in and it's a little confusing the name of the show is crazy horse paris at the mgm grand gotcha. in las vegas so yeah but i did that show and that was really cool too i mean it's are you in the buff do you have to be in the buff when you perform no no no, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm the relief. I, I, I was the part in the show where the ladies would go off and change. I would come out and everyone would get up and go to the bar. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to watch this clothed I, guy. You yeah, exactly. I, I was the relief so they wouldn't miss any of the new dancing. So yeah. that, that's kind of how it went. If but you it was were a fun real being magician, you'd be naked. Yeah, exactly. The naked magicians. That was a review here in Vegas for a little while. Two really? guys doing, doing nude yeah. magic on stage. Yeah. The, yeah. and, and you always know where the cards go, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, there's only so many places yeah, it can be. I mean. only I. <laughs> well, I think Louie was at one of your last shows 
ever. Yeah, yeah Louis I, came. You came to uh, one of my shows up in was it Hoquiam? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was an interesting show. So I loved touring. I loved traveling, and I loved especially the Northwest. Going up the Northwest, it's beautiful up and down the coast. And I would, I, I could never get really booked up there. Uh, on any you know conventions or shows or reviews or I I couldn't so so what I ended up doing my solution was to book my own tour up there, so I started doing that I think in 2013 or 14, and I did five or six tours up and down the coast up there in Oregon and Washington, and it was fantastic up there. So that the the tour that you came to Louis was it was my last tour. It was me and Niels Dunker, uh, who was fantastic. Uh, juggler who travels worldwide and performs worldwide. Uh, but I put together this show and we would do like community theaters and performing arts programs and just theaters up and down the, the, the uh, Northwest coast there. And I love doing those tours. It was it, really nice. Really. I, we would come into these small theaters, you know, they would seat two, three, 400 people and we would do a show for the night. Sometimes we'd be part of the theater season. Sometimes we'd be a, a special added show for for their patrons, uh, and we did this show in Hoquiam. That was my first time in Hoquiam, uh, and I think we were in this twelve hundred seat theater. And how many people were at that show, Louis? Maybe five, six people, seven people. <laughs> I think it was like twenty five. <laughs> twenty five. Ah, oh, more than what my brain chose to remember. I'm so counting I, the ushers too, though. Plus the ushers, plus the tech crew, and, and us and backstage. It, it was a very short turnout. And I mean, and that's how those shows go. It's like, yeah. you know, you send out all this press, you hope the theater advertises to their patrons, but sometimes you show up and there's 20 people in the audience and you still do the show no matter what. So that, it was that, still a fun was, show. It was a fun show. It was a really good audience. Um, and I think I remember my volunteer that night, I was doing this kind of knife throwing thing and I brought him up and he, I remember him being, I don't remember what he said, but I remember him being really funny. So that, that kind of made the the show enjoyable for us too. So well, I always thanks think it's for a red, coming that night. I always think it's no a red problem. flag when the theater holds more people than the town has. It's, <laughs> That's it's very ambitious. <laughs> that, that should, that should have been a sign for me to begin with. Like Hoke, we have population 1100. Theater eleven hundred. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know we're here. always we're always has full houses and amazing audiences? The Moisture Festival. Moisture Festival. Oh, I know. You know, and that was great too. That's that's why I went up. Speaking of Niels Dunker, he actually recommended uh that I contact Moisture Festival. So that's how I ended up getting booked on that. And so you did it 2015, 2016-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think it was 15 or 16. Um Niels had done it a couple years before. And he recommended me to do it. And I thought, gosh, Seattle. I had never been to Seattle at that point. And I thought, oh, this would be great to hang out for a week, meet some other entertainers. So, yeah, I kind of called and set it up. And, yeah, it was fun. What was – I mean, you, you're probably part of a lot of different variety shows. Did it uh, – what was the difference between the Moisture Festival compared to maybe some of the other variety shows that you've been on, maybe in Vegas or somewhere else? Um, so Moisture Festival was um, – I, I would say it, all the entertainers were kind of independent of each other. It was, you know, one act would come on, uh, do their act. They would go off, 
MC would come out, introduce the next act. So a lot of the variety shows I've been a part of were, you know, these rehearsed kind of refined put together shows where there's like a flow to it. There's ups and downs. And whereas Moisture Festival, it's just like, hey, here's some fantastic entertainment. Come and watch and, and watch these people do what they do. Yeah. So it, it was a different atmosphere. Uh, uh, like I said, the, the entertainers were just a little more, um, I guess, independence, the only word I could think yeah. of. They would come out, do their act. And then the next act would come out and do their yeah. act. And... There's not like a through line or a sort of a theme for each show outside of being moist, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Whereas, yeah. Okay. I get, I get what you're saying. Whereas like uh, other shows, like there might be some sort of cohesion between the two acts or like a transition perfect. bit or yeah. whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You nailed it. That's exactly what I was, I was trying to yeah. trying to vocalize. Yeah. Whenever I'm in shows where they have that transition bit, I'm like, Oh no, I'd rather MC. Really? I come out and do my act versus yeah. starting the hole. Wait, I dug with what do you mean? What's bit. like an example? Give me an example of like a transition bit. Like, um, like uh, I'm trying to think I've worked with a, another comedy juggler who like oh i dropped something and i come up and sweep it up and then they're like okay now you say this and then you do your your bit or whatever gotcha and it's just always for me because i can't act feels so forced and it like yeah. i just introduce me and i'll come out and do my edits. gotcha yeah audiences pick up on that stuff too it's like these guys are trying a little too hard that doesn't look natural like what's going on here <laughs> gotcha yeah. yeah, Louie and I have done, a, a, when we've done shows together, sometimes we'll do that where it's like, you know, I'll be like, hey, you should come out for this bit and do something with me. And then it's just always falls flat. It's always like, what? Do, do these guys not even talk about this beforehand? Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think that that tour that you saw, Louie, with me and Niels, I think we were trying to like work out some of those transitions. And by the end of the tour, we were like, let's just let's just come out and do your thing. Like we don't need to try so hard. It's gonna be fine. They're gonna enjoy the show. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't need to do a dance recital in between together, and then <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before we let you go, the two questions I wanted to get out were: uh, one, what is a merchant mariner? Because I saw that you're a is that a, you're a merchant mariner? What is that? Merchant mariner. Yeah. So merchant mariner credential is something that you earn. Uh, to work on cruise ships. So working on, I worked on the Pride of America, yeah. uh, which is the only United States flagged passenger cruise ship. So because it's U.S. flagged, all the other ships are Bahamas or you mm. know some some island in in the Bahamas. Uh, they they sail under their flag, but Pride of America sails under U.S. flag. So there's different rules, different labor laws. So we had to go to I think it was ten days of training out in Piney Point, Maryland where it's survival training in the water, uh, lifeboat training, uh, CPR, all the medical training, crowd management, firefighting. It's like, you know, underwater deal combat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like learning how to deal with all these catastrophes that wow. could happen at sea. So it, and did I did I ever encounter any of that stuff? No. Did you have like pirate training? Like what to do if Somali pirates board the ship? Uh, gosh, was there? I, Why would I, there be Somali pirates in Hawaii? First of all, <laughs> like that is like the furthest commute for a robbery. They would definitely catch you off guard. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not expecting it. Yeah. No, I think there was, there was probably for the, for the actual crew of the ship. I, I want to say they, 
they underwent some sort of sort of like pirate training. I know we had like pirate deterrent mechanisms on board. There was like these sound devices and water hoses. And I yeah. never, I never went through any of that stuff. Well, cause I've worked on the pride of America and, but I only did short contracts. I'm assuming you did this because you were there for a long period of time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think it was, I think if you're on the ship less than 30 days, you don't have to go through that stuff. But yeah, I was doing like two, three, four month contracts. So you're a merchant mariner, man. How cool is that? Merchant mariner. That's, that's all it takes a week of training. I think the course is like eight grand. And they paid for it all. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, you go out and you you get all this training for eight grand and hey, you can go work on a ship now. Yeah. I'm, I just want to be on a flight where they go through your whole resume. We have first officer magic for merchant mariner. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I know life is crazy, isn't it? It's like, did I ever predict that I'd be flying airplanes at 40,000 feet? No. I mean, I wanted to do magic as a kid. I, I enjoyed theater and dance and music and all that stuff. It's like, it is crazy how life happens. Well, I think it's pretty, pretty awesome that you were willing to sort of say, you know, hey, I, I did that. I you know, accomplished a lot of stuff. I did what I love. And now it's this is a new chapter of my life. You know, I think that's uh, really cool. I think a lot of people are were especially during COVID were afraid to do. I know I was. I, I was yeah. like, what skills do I have? Like, I know. know. And that's exactly how I felt. I appreciate that, by the way. But that's how I felt. I thought, gosh, I, I, I know how to sound check a microphone. I know how to, you know, find a card in a deck of cards. But what what does that translate to? What the What's heck am the I going to do? Application, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So. Well, I think it's it's pretty awesome, and uh, we're we're lucky that we got to have you at the Moisture Festival before you you know fully retired. And uh, <laughs> and I would you we usually send people to uh, people's websites if they want to check you out, but I think your website is no no more. No, all that stuff is gone. I mean, I still post, um, you know, old magic clips and stuff that I'm doing in the airplane now on all my social media. So, if, you know, if it's Jason Newsom, okay. N-E-W-S-O-M. I mean, if, you know, if you're inclined social media, Instagram and Facebook, I'm still on there. But yeah, no website. Yeah. And there's lots of videos of you doing stuff on Penn and Teller. There's like a cool uh, video of you walking on glass um and lots of cool stuff of all your television appearances and stuff throughout your career that people can check out if they google you yeah yeah that all that stuff is still on youtube and i i, I go i've gone back once or twice to look at that stuff i'm like gosh i don't even remember doing that i don't remember telling the joke i don't remember yeah. how that even works i'd have to go back to all my notes and look all that stuff up so how about if you looking back if, if you had to do a show like let's just say you you were forced to do a show for some reason to save the save the lives of a small town or some of Hoke, the people of Hoquiam. <laughs> like the stakes they say, are high. You, you have to do your show tonight like how like how long do you think it would take you to remember all your stuff or do you think if, you would just get into it and be muscle memory uh, you know, if that were the case, I think, again, the adrenaline would kick in and I I probably would not want to rehearse. I would want to go on stage yeah. and just kind of kind of wing it and figure it out. And Oh, oh let me try to muddle through this joke. And because yeah. I think that translates to the audience. I think they see if if you're having a good time, they're going to have a good time. They're going to be with you. And a lot of times when, you know, when the audiences weren't really responding I, I would just do the show for me and that would kind of pull the audience in so yeah. i feel like if, if this were the case i'd want to just go on stage and you know maybe a day or two to pull all these props together which gosh i don't even have anymore yeah. Uh, oh yeah you donated them to yeah. like a the magic castle juniors Is i did yeah yeah over the summer i gave all the props to magic castle junior uh the junior program at the castle and i gave all the costumes i had like 
my guest room, two 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 bedrooms in the house here, uh, full of all magic costumes and assistant costume pieces. I gave all that to a high school uh, theater program here. Oh, that's town. awesome. So I'd have to pull all that together. So, <laughs> And I guess if anyone wants to check out Jason, you can catch him out on, uh, what, Mesa Airlines flight YV663 to uh, Houston? <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> can you figure out who your pilot's going to be for your flights? Uh, you can't figure out the flight crew, but there's a ton of uh, flying apps. There is Flight Aware. Um, you could Your airline probably has an app, the American app or United app. So if you check out Flight Aware, you can type in the flight number and you can see all the flights in the u.s uh, if you check out adsb exchange.com that shows you all the flights in the world that's crazy that's kind of cool yeah so there, there's ways to see that stuff yeah <laughs> well i'm gonna I, start a uh, yelp where i review pilots <laughs> that'd be awesome landing 10 out of 10 <laughs> yeah thank you so much for joining us absolutely well it's been fun chatting with you guys really appreciate it thanks for thinking of me even though i'm three years out of the business hey, it was great <laughs> it was awesome appreciate it That's it for today, folks. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out more information like who's performing, how to volunteer, how to contribute, be sure to go to the Moisture Festival website, which is moisturefestival.org. If you like this podcast, you can check out the podcast that Matt and I do called the Odd and Off Beat Podcast. Yeah. You can get on all of the podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and where we talk about weird news stories of the day. It's a good time. Yeah. If you like this podcast, you will love that because it is all things weird. <laughs> and that has links to my personal page and Louis Fox's personal page if you want to follow what we do individually. So we want to thank all of the performers, donors, sponsors, volunteers who put on the Moisture Festival. It really takes a village to make this thing happen. Absolutely. We want to thank you for listening and we want to thank you in advance for coming out to the Moisture Festival. So be sure to check out the Moisture Festival's site. They also have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a YouTube page to see how you can get involved and be a part of this year's or next year's Moisture Festival. We want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast and we hope to see you soon. See you later. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast and stay moist.